Subscribe to the Fashion League podcast on whichever platform you're listening to this right now. Stop what you're doing and tap subscribe. This episode is one of my favorite interviews so far, mostly because our guest has such a great story for how she founded her fashion tech company. I'm still sheltering in place in Manhattan, even though the city has entered some phase of reopening. But last month, I spoke with Tara Robinson via Skype about how she turned her bad internship experience into a tech startup. Since our conversation, so much has happened in the efforts for the Black Lives Matter movement. Among the protests on the global stage, media companies have been forced to contend with their own reckoning for the years of discrimination and lack of representation of racial minorities. After so many companies felt compelled to create social media graphics to show their support of the Black Lives Matter movement, many were then called out on their need for introspection because an Instagram post cannot bring pay parity to the underpaid, underemployed, and unrepresented people that have faced institutional discrimination. In recent days, the editor-in-chief of Bon Appetit, which is a Condé Nast property, he resigned after employees spoke out about the toxic, racist culture within the staff. And Refinery29's founder, she announced that she would be stepping down after a former Black employee accused the company of discrimination. And the founder of fashion blog Man Repeller announced that she would be stepping back after Man Repeller received criticism for failing to hire and retain writers of color. Anna Wintour, editor-in-chief of Vogue magazine, put out an internal statement to staffers at Condé Nast where she said the following, I want to say plainly that I know Vogue has not found enough ways to elevate and give space to Black editors, writers, photographers, designers, and other creators. We have made mistakes too, publishing images or stories that have been hurtful or intolerant. I take full responsibility for those mistakes, end quote. And in brighter news, Samara Nasser has been announced as the new editor-in-chief of Harper's Bazaar beginning July 6th, making her the first Black woman to be appointed to that role in the 153-year existence of Harper's Bazaar. I read rumors that she was in the running for this role back in February, and she was the fashion director at Elle magazine when I was just an intern, so when I saw the confirmation in the news, I was ecstatic! Lastly, according to the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, Kanye West filed for a trademark application on June 2nd for an assortment of skincare, makeup, personal care, fragrances, incense, scented stones, and aromatherapy pillows under his brand Yeezy. Hi. 
Hi, Tara. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm so excited to be talking with you. I've only been talking to my husband and my daughter for the past couple of weeks. So every time I get a little podcast break, it's exciting. Same. I've only been talking to my roommate, who's also my best friend. So it's, this is the best case scenario. But still, besides like the million family Zoom calls that I've been forced to join. <laughs> so where are you originally from? Um, I'm actually originally from the Bahamas. So crazy moving around story. Went to high school in Florida. Summer of undergrad in D.C. in Florida. Where and in then Florida? moved to New York to do my MBA. I, so I went to high school in Boca Raton, which is in South Florida. Mm-hmm. And then I did my bachelor's. I finished off my bachelor's at Rollins College, which is in Central Florida, Orlando area. Mm-hmm. So then also moved to New York in 2012 with my best friend from high school who also went to school in DC my freshman sophomore year so my roommate I live with now we've been friends since like freshman year of college where did you go to college Catholic University oh awesome what did you study to Georgetown so initially I studied bio I thought I wanted to be an (laughs) orthodontist that was short-lived after I could not pass the chemistry class to save my life which was very unfortunate because my dad's a chemist but I just couldn't do it. And so my junior year, I switched to international business. And that's when I transferred schools. That is a common trajectory for a lot of fashion people. You start with one major. It is. Either you graduate with that major and do something else, or you change to business, which is a very general degree that you could do anything with. (laughs) Exactly. Initially, I just didn't know all the opportunities in fashion. I was always a creative, but I thought if I, obviously everyone thinks if you want to be in the fashion industry, you have to be a designer. Mm -hmm. It wasn't really until my junior year in college, I really got an understanding of all the possible roles into fashion. Mm -hmm. At that time, it was a little too late. So I was already in an international business and I wasn't going to change again. And they didn't have a fashion program anyways. Mm -hmm. So around that time, I really got excited about fashion PR. So what was your first fashion role once you got to New York? Oh, my first fashion role. So when I was still in Orlando, my first real thing. So this sounds terrible. I got interested <laughs> in fashion PR because of The Hills with like Oh my LC. God. And that show, I know. And I was just like, oh, that looks so much fun. I want to do that. The show so is That's what full I thought I was going to do with fashion PR. Yeah. See? So exactly. You- <laughs> it's all so fake. That show is comedy. Yeah, I didn't watch that show until after I already got my internship at the place in that show. So it was pretty hilarious going back and seeing, oh, yeah, this is nothing like that. So <laughs> so your first fashion PR yes. role, what, do, what were you doing? No, so my first role I actually was, I was in Orlando and I was like, I want to get in even though there's no fashion industry here. The first thing I did was do model um, scouting. So mm-hmm. Um, Orlando has a huge casting talent agency, obviously, because you're right by Disney and all those universal. So I first did model cat scouting. So we would go into malls and find young girls and like teach them to walk. Mm -hmm. And the agency I worked with, they were on a reality show by what was the name of that show? Remodel. They would come in and like remodel your model agency. And the guy's name is Paul something. And he would come in and that's sort of my first experience in the fashion industry. So when I came to New York, my first real fashion job was interning for a stylist. How was that? Terrible. 
Um, it, was, <laughs> it was awful. No. It was the moment I realized I did not want to be a stylist. I did. I wasn't really sure about fashion PR anymore. It was not as glamorous as it, I thought it would be. But it was the place that I birthed the concept of my idea. So as much as I hated it, it also Wait, was very up. great for me. How did you find the role with the stylist? On Fashionista, you know, they would list all these internships. Mm-hmm. And when I was in Orlando, I'd be like, oh, I wish I could do that internship. But I'm so far away. So as soon as I got here, I was like, I'm going to do one of those internships I've seen on the Fashionista page. So that's how I did it. I applied. And when I got there, she's like, you seem great. But you need to, like, dress down. That was, like, the first hint that this is going to be a whole different type of job. <laughs> I should have ran from then. So that was my first experience, which if you intern for a stylist in New York, you know, it's a lot of running around, picking up samples, going to different showrooms. I once spent, like, two hours on the train going all the way out to Williamsburg. And this was before it, like, was cool. There was just, like, sketchy warehousey Williamsburg. So, <laughs> like, going to a warehouse in the middle of nowhere, picking up some jewelry samples, and just running around the city like a crazy person. Very, like, Devil Wears Prada mm-hmm. reminiscent. I was like, oh, I feel like I'm in the movies right now, but all the crappy parts. <laughs> Were there any highlights in that experience? Because I know a lot of people say assisting a stylist is a terrible job, but some people really enjoy it. Did you enjoy any parts of that role or was it just like completely, absolutely not? So this is even the kicker of it. I wasn't even assisting the stylist. I was assisting the assistant. We probably <laughs> met the stylist once or twice. But the one time was when we worked on set and I loved that part. So we were on set for, I think it was something. So she did styling for editorial and commercial so this was a commercial client I believe it was like a lingerie client and so just being on set and like seeing the whole process that was fun for me I enjoyed that even though it was a super long day at least I got to see the fruit of my labor at that point every other time we were just running around picking up samples and bringing it back to the studio there never seemed to be some end point and at least when we got on set I felt like I was really a part of the industry Amazing. So how did you come to your idea? Through the same internship. So while I was doing this internship, I was studying my MBA in fashion management and entrepreneurship at LAM College. Wait, you were doing your MBA at the same time you were assisting? Yes. (laughs) Oh, Lord. Yes. And like working, so I come off of, from my classes. No, I did my classes at night. So I would be assisting during the day and then go head over and come back to the city so while I was interning, we were bringing all these samples back and then we would do the process where we physically count them. We took pictures of them on our phone, emailed the pictures to the computer. There was only one computer in the studio. We would print them out. We would write down like two shirts, five pants, six necklaces, all from this company. And so after a couple of weeks of doing that and just it being so time consuming, monotonous, because, you know, for one shoot, you can get hundreds of samples and just the way my mind works is very like this is inefficient this takes way too long there has to be a better way to do this so I said it I said it out loud um isn't there a better way to do this like what if this was all digital and you could take a photo with your phone and then you can tag it and then it could like generate a QR code and then we could just scan the QR code and know exactly what the sample is because another big problem for us was when you were returning the samples we're now looking at this grainy photo that we took on our like iPhone 2 back then <laughs> and trying to figure out 
is this like the bird off um, t-shirt or is this the DKMY t-shirt? It's impossible to tell. A lot of times samples don't have labels in it. So you're really doing this guessing game. And so my thing was like, when this is all digital and I sort of said it out loud in the in the studio and everyone just like looked at me like, oh, get back to work. And I was like, oh, okay, this, that was fun. So the two things sort of really changed my idea with that. I think it was like that summer that we had that winter, we had a crazy blizzard. So I was carrying bird off garment bags, stacks on my hand, trying to hail a cab in the middle of a blizzard. And I was just like, I'm quitting this job. There's was that no way Nemo? I'm doing this anymore. Would you happen to be talking about 2012? Because I remember. Yes. <laughs> yes, it's that near. You know what I'm talking about. I was working. <laughs> I was working in PR at the time. I was assisting at that place from the hills. It was terrible. It was fashion week. It was terrible. And I was just like, I'm not doing this. I'm trying to make sure I'm not dropping these thousand dollar probably samples while I'm trying to handle calves. I can't see anything. Everything was terrible. No cats were stopping. This is pre like Uber. So you're just like trying to hail a cab in Soho and it's just not happening to me. And I was just like, this is terrible. I'm quitting. <laughs> um, but luckily I had a launching new ventures class that semester. So we did the typical assignment of making a pitch, an elevator pitch. And so we broke up into groups and we have to come up with an idea. And so no one in my group had an idea. And I was like, hey, I was sort of playing around this idea with this internship I was doing. What do you guys think? Like, should we use this one? And everyone's like, okay, cool, let's do that. So we did that concept and we pitched it to the class and their reaction was really great. They were now all getting in the point where everyone was telling their stories of, hey, I work for Michael Kors and you're right, it's terrible there too. And I work for this company and there's a bunch of other fashion students, so they all have these experiences of terrible internships and managing that process because usually the sample management trafficking processes to the interns and the assistants and coordinators. So everyone sort of knew how big of a pain point it was and how inefficient and effective it was. So we just basically started sharing horror stories of <laughs> dealing with the sample trafficking process. And everyone's like, yo, that's a really good idea. You should really do it. So I left class and everyone's like, are you really going to do this company? Because like, I would come and work for you. And I was like, oh, wow, people really like this concept. That's great. But I need to make money and I have no idea <laughs> on how to start a company. So when did you start getting traction with your business idea? So I did it for the rest of my program, like for our capstone. Um, I worked in retail for a while. Then I was the marketing manager or Canadian shoe retailer. And I was doing that. And they had a very big e-commerce department. They actually had one of the first e-commerce stores in Canada. And working with them, I would have to work with the dev team a lot. So I was working with the development team, the tech guys. I would go in their little dungeon and be like, hey, I need a landing page for this. Hey, the email we're sending, I need you guys to do this and that. And because I would talk to them so much, I sort of developed the tech language. Even though I didn't know how to code or build anything, I knew how to talk to tech people and engineers because being the marketing manager that was just such a big part of my job so that was around 2015 2016 um, I had probably like a year in the game and I was like I think I can build this product now the concept still stuck with me four years later and I knew I really could actually have the skill set to do it now so around 2016 I started building the platform was just like taking money from my paycheck and throwing it in there, um, waking up early and working on it. I outsourced a team in India to like build a platform for me and got really far. 
was building it, but still working my day job, which was really demanding a lot of traveling. But one time I just got a call from like a brand under H&M. And at this point, I'm still at my job and I'm like taking the phone call in my car because I had to run out to answer the phone call. And I was like, what am I doing? Like, I don't even, I don't even have a finished product right now. And people are just finding it organically on my site. And this is a real opportunity. And I just like need to take the risk and make a jump for it. And so at that point, I had saved a lot of money. I was so afraid to quit my job. I would like walk to the door of my boss's office and then like run back to my office probably like five or six times. But after I got that call, I was like, yo, this can be something really big. Let me just take the risk. So March of 2018, I quit my job and started working on track tracks full time. So after you bet on yourself in 2018, what have been some of your biggest accomplishments? So we launched in um, November 2018. So when I quit my job, I just had the web platform done. So we did the mobile platform. We did really good ad campaigns. I was happy with this marketing we, marketing we did for the launch. We did sort of this burn the book campaign of like burning that physical login book and getting a digital setup. I was really happy with the launch we did. Onboarded a few of our customers with very little marketing and a shoestring budget in an incubator currently in an accelerator by startup ventures so just in the last couple of months we've been funded by a venture capital firm that's been a really big process for us in getting into the startup world and the founder world and really understanding the whole process so meeting with really big retailers and finding out their process and that they're using excel and they don't really have a system meeting with pbh and they're telling me that they use excel to track their and they lose samples all the time so running pilot programs of really big retail companies have been really great, has been really great. And just our product has changed so much since I launched it. We've done like sort of relaunches of like 2.0 versions of TrackRack since then. So that's been the really um, big milestones of just meeting with these really big retailers and finding out that this little thing and this little idea that I have can be something that can impact a really big player in the game. That's amazing. And PBH, that's a huge corporation. They have a bunch of different brands. That's amazing. Same thing with fast retailing. They like, I had a meeting with them and they were using Excel and I was just like, what? Are you crazy? Is this crazy? What? Uniqlo? Yes. (laughs) Crazy. So that's been really fun. Just like going and just seeing how my sort of fashion career has evolved. And being in, on a different side of the table, like I always thought I wanted to work for these big companies, but to be able to provide a solution to them has been really fun. What are your next goals for your company? So right now we're in a really interesting space, especially obviously with COVID. Yep. It really sort of brought a lot of the problems to the industry to the forelight. So that's been really interesting for us to see how we can provide solutions. Right now we're really pushing fashion companies that you have to have digital solutions to manage your business. You can't just be using the pen and paper and the Excel because what happens when you have a displaced remote team? What happens when you can't access your physical samples? So we're really in the space where we're pushing our virtual showroom and how important that is. And that's making it more technology advanced of what if your virtual showroom, besides having the pictures of your samples and all that um, important inventory information, what if it can actually get into the VR space where you can actually see that sample um, using virtual reality technology, um, expanding into different markets. So I've seen a yes. couple agencies doing virtual mm-hmm. press appointments, doing their spring appointments online, and it's just been mm-hmm. really basic stuff. It's just like, I feel like we can do better than this in 2020. There's more 
<laughs> there's more technology there's more future available than what we're receiving so i feel like it's also the industry just being slow to adapt technology and being able to digitize processes yeah. that they're used to doing analog is just a learning curve or i should ask you what do you see as being the difficulty in the industry adapting to using new solutions I think, yeah, the biggest problem with fashion, the fashion industry is like we're an industry of people who let you in, right? So our industry have a lot of stakeholders who sort of, this is the way we've done it. This is the way we've always done it. And this is the way we're going to continue to do it. For such a creative space, we don't really like change that much, which is really shocking and interesting. So COVID, as destructive as it's been, it also sort of forced people to adapt new technologies. You can't do things the way you're doing it right now. You're forced to make a change. And so what I really have been trying to preach to different brands is this is one scenario in which things have been different and operating in a different way, but there's always going to be something different. And also this can cost a lot of um, costs. Like sample, different brands have lost up to $1.6 million in design samples or just the time that it takes to get a product from in the photo shoot studio to get that product online. That has a lot to do with the sample management process. So if you can speed up that process, you can start losing sales. And right now, e-commerce is obviously a big push for these brands because they don't have the traditional brick and mortar stores right now. So managing these processes and getting more involved in the tech space is a part of your strategy for growth. And right now it can be your only avenue for growth because e-commerce is just gonna continue to grow because people were forced to use it. I don't think things are going to go back the same like people think it is. And it's just not. The industry has to evolve. Either you're going to be forced to evolve or you're going to be one of the people who won't make it out. True. So speaking of evolving and the time we're in now, what has your work routine been like? Well, luckily, because I have a tech company, I've always been remote in some way. I've always done things online and digital. I always did my demo calls over Zoom. So like I'm an early adopter of Zoom and all these other platforms just because my customers can be anywhere. So that wasn't hard for me to get used to. I'm used to working from home. It was annoying because I was really getting the space where I was networking and trying to meet other people and really network this year, but that's not happening. So just doing that, those things virtually. So for me, big thing is to have a routine. I still wake up in the morning, have breakfast, get dressed, make sure I'm starting to work by 9.30, the latest, and sort of doing that routine. I'm having a lot of, especially when the shutdown first happened. I got a, a big influx in demo calls. So doing demo calls with clients. Um, I was in an accelerator. So a lot of workshops, a lot of pitch contests. I was doing those as well. Creating a lot of content right now because people are consuming so much content via social media, on LinkedIn, on different platforms. So making sure we're making a lot of content and just really looking at our funds and seeing how we can make sure we're in a good position for the year and decrease our spending where we can so we can be around for as long as this lasts. So really doing the same things. I'm always about finding a digital process to do things. So this has sort of been a great time for someone like me who prefers to do everything online and using some type of tech platform. But um it is affecting in some ways because a lot of fashion companies, since they're so dispersed, it's hard for them to make decisions right now. Obviously, they're afraid to do any spending. But then you just have to remarket and say things like, well, this is going to save you money in some ways. 
suggest working on scripts and changing our marketing content to meet the time that we're in right now. So that's been a big part of what I've been doing. I want to back up to what you mentioned about networking. What type of events were you going to? Are there certain events that you look forward to each year or were you mixing or planning to mix it up this year? So I do a lot of mix of fashion tech events, do a lot of fashion tech panels. Um, so Decode was fashion. I love going to their stuff. I went to their one in London a couple of years ago. I usually go to Acrotech, which is really good. A network of other like black tech entrepreneurs, which is really motivating and gives you a good way to see how you can expand in the future. Um, another one I really wanted to go to was um, the Glossy Awards. They were doing something in Miami as well. So a lot of these fashion tech retail ones were the ones I was going to go to, but a lot of them are virtual now. So just hopping on them. WWD has been doing a lot of good virtual webinars as well. So just getting involved with the ones I can. Most of them are online now. And in many ways, they're now much more affordable. So <laughs> jumping on them. So my mix is a really good mix of retail, like Shop Talk and a lot of those good ones, but also tech-focused ones. Are you ready to play faux or fashion? Sure. <laughs> what are the rules? <laughs> so faux or fashion is basically a true or false segment. We are going to go over three fashion headlines, and you're going to tell me whether it's a real mm-hmm. story or a fake story. So if it's a real story, you say fashion. Okay. If it's a fake story, you just say it's a faux story. Ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm ready. So your first question. Miley Cyrus styled and photographed herself for the cover of the Wall Street Journal magazine. I'm going to say faux. (laughs) I'm sorry. That is correct. I mean, that is a real story. (laughs) So this Really? Okay. I know Naomi Campbell did it for Essence. This is a fashion story. So Miley Cyrus did indeed style and photograph herself for the wall street journal magazine and she also had senator elizabeth warren on her instagram stories tv show is that what we're calling it so instagram (laughs) show instagram story instagram live yes so she was sharing some behind the scenes instagram live series issues that she was having so yeah that's in the wall street journal magazine that's a weird partnership um with warren and miley cyrus i would have put those two together so elizabeth warren is elizabeth warren is still being shopped around as a vp pick so she still has to be out there so however you get those young ones okay and miley was wearing rubber gloves on the cover i thought that was a little maybe a nod to the corona situation i don't know but it's yeah. better to wash I your hands. Like weird about like the Corona fashion thing, like the mats and like brands making like luxury mats. I don't know how I feel about this yet. Brands it were already a little Brands were already making designer masks though, so I was trying to buy okay. like the off. So I was on my way to Paris Fashion Week and I wanted to buy the off-white face mask, but it wouldn't have got here in time, so. I had to get like a regular rinky dink mask from wherever. Oh no. Brands were already Is on this gonna be the new thing? <laughs> oh, there were we so many people. So many people <laughs> had on designer masks. There were so many Chanel masks. I seen uh, like That's uh, crazy. Serge. I love it. But yes. 
I want that's a designer. Hilarious. Not not like a Vuitton or a Gucci though. That's too that's too on the nose of <laughs> designer. I want some discreet luxury. I know, right? Literally, literally on the nose. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Remember, the mask goes over your nose, people. I've seen a lot of pictures on the internets, okay? You got to cover your nose. That's a part I of it. I know. <laughs> All right. We're ready. The it's second crazy. question. Jessica Simpson got into a internet tat with a Vogue editor for over a body shaming comment in a recent article about the Met Gala. Did this happen or did it not happen? Was it faux or fashion? Jessica Simpson was having a little... I'm going to say faux. Faux? Why do you think it's not a real fashion story? Because are we still doing body shaming the year of 2020 um, AC <laughs> after Corona? Is that still things that we're going to be doing? Oh my goodness. I refuse to believe that people are that crazy. Well, actually, the people are still crazy. It was Sally Singer from Vogue, she was a comment or contributor for the Met Gala retrospective that they posted last week for the Met Gala being canceled. And she was commenting on the year that mm -hmm. Jessica Simpson wore like a plunging neckline. And she said that, I think the quote was just uh, from Sally Singer saying that Jessica Simpson's boobs were on the table. So that was mentioned. I don't know why people think they're gonna get away with that now I, it's just well, such a touchy subject i just wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole <laughs> you should just stop talking about people's bodies because you're gonna end up on the internet but this exactly. isn't the first time that this editor got in trouble for her comments about what other people are doing she also got in trouble in 2016 for saying that fashion bloggers were ruining style they have no sense of style is what she said because they kept changing i remember that you remember okay because they were changing yeah. their outfits after every show and i'm just like well don't a lot of editors do that as well like you're kind of sound like a it's better for them but um yeah and your final question you ready yeah i'm failing at this but i'm ready <laughs> i mean this one is worth triple points okay Okay. Okay. Yay. <laughs> Final okay. question. Bella Hadid yeah. starred in a iPhone FaceTime photography session of Giacomo's spring campaign shot all over FaceTime. I'm going to say it's not true because I said all the other. No, I'm going to say it's not true because I said the other ones are not true. And this one of these has to after win one. <laughs> so I'm going to say this one. I'm just going to stay in my pattern and say this one's both. No. Fashion story. So yes. I'm really so bad at <laughs> I'm sorry. I usually oh okay. No worries. You you get participation points if you want them. If you don't want them, you don't have Yay. to. Do them. <laughs> but this is yeah. true. She did start in a FaceTime photo session campaign. Is that is that what we're calling it? It's a FaceTime. A photo shoot shot yeah photo session i was trying to get my sister to do it for her baby photo i was like can we hire a facetime photographer i mean the they look well she's naked she's not wearing clothes but she's modeling like accessories oh okay so nice like nice. the the large version of the infamous jacquemus 
little mini bags, the regular size version. I shouldn't say large. Mm-hmm. Yeah. These cool sunglasses. Yeah. It looks like a good campaign. I see a little bit of, uh, you know, the face tune editing where you whiten the walls. Her elbow is white. So it's only because I'm looking for my laptop. <laughs> I can see it. It looks odd, but it's fine when you look at it on your phone. But yeah. Funny, it's like a lot of brands are doing that, especially e-commerce ones who are trying to make the models like do their own makeup and take their own photos. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of them were getting flack in the beginning because they were still doing photo shoots. I mean, what would you have people do? The products are already made and they need to be sold. Even if they're not already made, there are people who still have these jobs. They need to do these things. Like, What, do you, what, what would you have people do instead? What I think we have to do is go we're, everyone's gonna have to learn how to put assemble a mannequin again and just like put it on mannequins <laughs> and do it that way fight with a mannequin and put the clothes on that so there's not actually like human contact what i have never put together a mannequin outfit so this is a challenge what do i do well, it is a challenge. It's the you got to take off the legs first. It's getting the legs back on, which is always the hardest, <laughs> and that's always the one that gets me. Listen, I can steam the heck out of some garments, so I'll help. I can mm-hmm. steam, okay? I'll pin it up or hang it. I can't put okay, it on. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, got to get the clip. Oh goodness! All right. That's it. That is the whole episode. Thank you so much for coming on the pod today on this lovely Saturday where we can't really Thank do you. Anything. Wait, I have one question before we end. I need to hear one of your sample horror stories. You did PR. That's a good one. You have all the goods. You're not going to leave without telling me one of your crazy horror stories. I have so many terrible stories because I worked in PR and I had lost like thousand dollar samples. Okay, I have two good stories. I'm going to give you a PR story and then a magazine story. One is jewelry and one is clothing. So one, yes, the first one, my first fashion job working in PR, I was bringing down a garment bag with a gown attached so like I had a garment bag and I had a gown on top of it okay so the gown was Mm -hmm. dragging on the floor and then the the owner of the agency came in and saw me coming off the elevator dragging the tail of the gown on the ground and like completely like yelled and lost her shit about the gown being dragged on the floor and I was like Wow. My apologies. <laughs> Bye. I'm not used to this Bye. type of reaction from people in a professional setting, but yes. No. It was complete oh it was a wild situation. But yeah. People who... When you're trying not to cry. <laughs> no. See, that's the thing about me. I don't cry because my mom was a crazy person. So like when people think they're being very mean to me, I don't really know how to react in an appropriate way. I'm just like very calm about it, which also doesn't really work. Like people expect a reaction and then giving it. It's just not, it wasn't great. (laughs) I I don't know how to handle these things. I don't know how to, what other way can I react if I'm not able to cry and show you the emotion of sadness that you're looking for i don't know i'm sorry but no that didn't work out Mm -hmm. and then so i i did learn my lesson i was very careful with samples after that i do not like people yet for their own sake because i don't want (laughs) (laughs) 
And then... You don't care. <laughs> it's not that I don't care. I do care. I just, I don't know how to react. But then the, I had an internship at a magazine and we mm-hmm. lost a package that had like, I don't even remember the amount, but it was just like thousands of dollars of jewelry in it. And it was coming Ooh. back from a shoot, but they, the stylist mailed it back to New York from LA. And so someone signed for it and it was in an envelope, like one of those padded UPS envelopes. And mm-hmm. like we were looking for this envelope forever and ever, like for like two days because the fashion assistant was gone and like the editors were not around because they were still coming back from the photo shoot or whatever they were doing. And we had like two days to find this stuff. And so like we had to look through the security cameras and this was at Hearst. So we had to go through, (laughs) yes, we had to look through like days and hours of security footage. And we saw the intern who signed for it and she put it on like a pack of empty envelope so like a bag full of thousands of dollars of jewelry was on top of a like stack of other envelopes like that could be used at least it wasn't trash that was the- <laughs> oh i thought it was like the trash that was like my heart no no these were the reusable and new envelopes that she put it on top of so me i we think she thought it was empty so yeah Oof. that, that was- is scary <laughs> Your whole life flashes before you. Oh my god! I was like, I hope I didn't sign for it. That's all I was thinking. I don't even know what happened to the jewelry. I just hope I didn't sign for it. That's all. Don't let MB be. I was like, that. I hope it's not my fault. Yes. <sighs> I don't want any yelling at me. I still want to work in this industry. I don't want to lose stuff. <laughs> okay. Yes. That's it. That was my. Those are great ones. I have so many more, but that is it. We're done. (laughs) Great. Uh, Thank you so much. This has been so much fun. All right. I'm glad you had fun. I have fun too. Enjoy the rest of your Saturday.